Well, church family, it is uh, a delight to be gathered together here this morning. And as we continue on in our series that we are entitling Simple Christmas, we just wish you a wonderful welcome to the Advent season. And we had a wonderful time last uh, weekend being able to do our Lighting of the Green service together. And uh, that was a joy and it was fun and it was good to see some people and the weather was cooperative and we were able to do that service outdoors. And some of you were joining us there, some of you were joining us online, some of you were joining us in your cars, but it was a delight to be able to do that. And so again, we are welcoming the Advent season. And in the spirit of that, our series that we are entitling Simple Christmas is giving us some time. We're taking our time this year in getting to the Nativity, recognizing that God was doing some, some pretty significant things. And so most of this uh, season we're spending in Luke chapter 1, and you can turn your Bibles there. So be, before we get to shepherds and angels, before we get to uh, Christmas stars and magi, we're lingering on this work that God was doing to prepare the people uh, for the season of ushering in His Advent. And so we're remembering that. We're also encouraged to note that many of these stories involve people who were doing without, which I think is very appropriate for this time of year as we are navigating some challenging circumstances. Nothing is really quite normal. And so we are doing without in some different ways, and yet we are still celebrating the reason for this season, which is our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we talked about the story of Zechariah uh, in a series that, or a sermon that we called Talk Less. Uh, and some of you asked, is that Talk Less, Smile More, like from Hamilton? And maybe it was inspired a little bit. Uh, but we talked about the gift of silence. And uh, we, in fact, uh, ended the message last week with an intentional gift of silence. And I heard numerous reports from many of you who found that gift to be very refreshing. And you received that with quiet thanks and deep breaths and opportunities to rest your spirits. Um, and I would encourage you to keep doing that, to keep uh, making that a part of this Advent season, to have deliberate times when you can be still, when you can be quiet. Uh, I was reflecting uh, in that spirit on the story of Elijah in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's really fascinating because Elijah, who has just come off some heroic uh, kind of activity and seen the, the power of God displayed in powerful ways on Mount Carmel, he finds himself discouraged and, and to the point that he doesn't even want to be alive anymore. And so he goes from this power encounter to this discouragement, but he needs to hear the voice of the Lord. And to hear the voice of the Lord now, it's not going to be coming in power, but it's going to be coming in the silence and in the quiet. And if you read the story in 1 Kings 19, uh, there's just a, such a powerful picture of, of the message saying that the, the Lord is going to pass by, but He doesn't pass by in this tremendous earthquake, and He doesn't pass by in this, this wind, and He doesn't pass by in the fire, but He comes in the still, small voice that some people even translate as, in the sound of the silence, the Lord was present. And so we would encourage you to allow that gift of silence to continue to mark this Advent season. Today, as we continue in Luke chapter 1, uh, the title of the message is Say Yes. And it tells the story of a young woman whose courage and obedience would cause her to become one of the most famous names in history. And I want us to see this, this beautiful, simple act of obedience 
in Mary's response to a, to a life-altering, high-honor, high-sacrifice role that God calls her to. And we, and we see this beautiful response in verse 38 as she's just saying, I'm the Lord's servant, do what you want to do. But before we get there, let's read verse 26 and following of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. When we talk about saying yes, I, I want you to see this morning that th this is a posture of expectant partnership with God's story. The thing that you will be called to say yes to will look very different, obviously, than Mary and, and perhaps very different than me, but we are called to have a posture of saying yes. For some, this is difficult because they would say, well, is this really just a posture of weakness? Uh, a posture that says, well, God's just going to tell me what to do and then I have to do it. I think what you'll find, even as we look at this message today, is that it is not a posture of weakness. In fact, it takes great strength to be able to do that. Uh, and Mary had to overcome some significant things in order to say yes to the calling of God on her life. So I want you to look at a couple things. We're going to look at how Mary overcame fear to say yes, how Mary overcame doubt to say yes, and then we're going to talk about saying yes as a means of opening up the way of the Lord in our lives. But let's look at this first part. So Mary's greatly troubled at this angelic presence, which probably would not surprise you or me either. Mary, it says, verse 29, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. And then the angel says to her what many of the angels say when they visit people and they are afraid. They say, do not be afraid. And then he assures her, why? Because you have found favor with God. Uh, the idea of overcoming fear as a part of saying yes to the work of God probably could be applied in hundreds of different ways. I'm going to take a look at one very specific slice in this message, message today. We see Mary with this greeting uh, falling very much in line with human beings over time who have an interesting tension 
in our desire for God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, that, that the people who know God well seem to want more of Him. This is what A.W. Tozer referred to as the fool's paradox of love. Uh, the, the people who know Him well seem to want more of Him. He said this, To have found Him and to still be seeking Him is the soul's paradox of love. A.W. Tozer in the pursuit of God. So there is this reality that those who know Him well want more of Him, but also those who encounter the divine are often undone by their experience. And we could look at a lot of different scriptures. Many of these are ones that we've preached on before, but Isaiah the prophet encounters God in all of His glory and presence uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. And his response is literally one of disintegration. <laughs> Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among people of unclean lips. He just doesn't even know what to do with himself in the presence of the holy. When you read the beginning of Revelation, uh, when the Apostle John is talking about being in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he encounters the voice of the Lord, and he turns and sees a picture of Christ that is detailed very uh, descriptively in Revelation chapter 1, what does he do? He falls on his face as if he was a dead person. Jesus comes to him and says, no, stand up, write down what you're about to see. So it's very fascinating. People that love God seem to want more of Him, but people that encounter Him are often undone by the experience. Uh, in a similar way, Zechariah is greeted by an angel, don't be afraid. Mary is greeted by an angel, don't be afraid. Joseph is greeted by an angel, don't be afraid. So there's this idea of being greatly troubled. Why is Mary troubled? Perhaps because God is communicating directly to her. I would find this, at the very least, very different from my norm. Perhaps because there's this angelic encounter that is happening. Perhaps she is being called favored one and doesn't quite know what to do with that, being a humble person. Perhaps it's some combination of all of this and a little bit more. But no question, I think when we put ourselves in real time and get out of kind of the Sunday school mentality, you know what I mean? When, when, you're, when you're a little kid, you hear the Bible stories and the, the stories of great heroes and you go, oh yeah, sure. You know, Mary was approached by an angel and told that she was going to have the Son of God. That, we've heard that story before and it makes sense to us. In real time, this is, this is a completely life-altering mission. This is terrifying. Not just the encounter with the angel, but what it means and the message that he is bringing to her. But Mary steadies herself. She shows great courage. And then she begins to hear a series of remarkable predictions. First of all, the Lord is with you. The angel says, the Lord is with you. His name will be called Emmanuel. And I, I suppose for Mary, of all people, she hadn't seen anything yet for what that was going to mean. He says, you found favor with God. He says, you are going to have a baby, and we've already picked out the name for you. You're going to call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called a son of the Most High. His kingdom will be a never-ending one. Now, I find this fascinating because one of the unfounded claims against Christianity is that, well, probably what happened is there was this guy that lived, his name was Jesus, he had a bit of a following, and then long after his death, people started to ascribe greatness to him, that he would be divine, somehow he would be connected to God or maybe even be God, uh, that he would do miracles, that he would do all that. That was probably all added on after the fact. Now, what, what I find fascinating about this particular passage is that before Jesus was even born, 
As he was being born, he's fulfilling prophecies about him, but even the prediction about his unsuspect, to, to his unsuspecting mom is laced with all of these predictions of who he will be, the greatness, the godliness, the never-ending kingdom. So Jesus was predicted to be much more than human even before his birth. Uh, in his book, uh, The Mother of God, which is part of a series that Tim Keller wrote uh, called Encounters with Jesus, he writes this. He says, It is an utterly astounding statement and an elegant, concise summary of what has become to be known as the doctrine of the Incarnation, that God became incarnate when the Son of God assumed a human nature and was born in the flesh and into the world. I hope you don't miss the significance of this simply because you've read it so many times, simply because you've heard this story so many times. But this is the doctrine of the Incarnation. God is becoming flesh. The Creator is coming into His created world on a redemptive mission. Uh, a second thing that we learn uh, about the coming of Christ that is fascinating is that His name is Jesus, which literally means God who saves. And there's no more appropriate name than could have been imagined for him because the founder of every other religion or worldview seems to have this notion of saying, I will be your guide. I'm going to point you in the way. Jesus uniquely comes into our world and says, I am the way. I'm not just going to be your guide. I'm not just going to show you the way. But he, he comes in, he lives and dies uh, in a way that we never could have accomplished in and of ourselves. And He accomplishes for us the requirements of salvation in our place. So the very name of this child, and in this very name, we see the uniqueness of Christianity in general and of Jesus in particular. Again, we have this wonderful ocean of truth wrapped up in this one little name. So Mary had to overcome fear just to get into this place. And that's one of the things, saying yes to Jesus is going to require an ability to overcome the fears that would hold us back. That can be applied in lots of ways. Today we're simply looking at this particular encounter. That's not all that Mary overcame. Mary also had to overcome doubt by dealing with it honestly so that she could say yes to the plan of God and the work of Christ. Verse 34, she asks a very pointed and very simple question. How am I going to have a baby? I have not been with a man. I, have, I, I've never, I, I am a virgin. I've never uh, engaged sexually, and now you're telling me I'm going to have a baby. I don't know how that is going to happen. The angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, going right now into the work that Jesus is going to do, and then gives this little reassurance here as, as Mary's processing her doubts, how in the world is this going to happen to me? He says, look, understand this, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in, your, in her old age. The one who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now, I think, I, I just love the picture of this, that the, the angel Gabriel is giving her assurances. Her doubts are legitimate. Her questions are legitimate. He's beginning to answer, this is how God is going to do what he wants to do. And so he gives her a gift. He gives her a gift of explanation and 
uh, allows that explanation to be underscored with the work that God was already doing. God is already working outside the normal kind of ways. And so he says to Mary, he's going to be doing something very significant. Now we've noted many times in Scripture, I've preached on this many times, that Scripture gives us a wonderfully accurate view of humanity. It shows the struggles. It shows the doubts. It shows kind of the blood, sweat, and tears. Not These are not people, Bible heroes, these are not people that have never wrestled with their own doubts, but in fact they wrestle very in a very real way. And Scripture gives us a front row seat to all of that. Uh, this is a, a wonderfully hopeful reality for normal people like you and me that God would call to step out in obedience and faith because we are also going to wrestle with our doubt. We're going to wrestle with our own hearts. So in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus calls us to faith and understands our propensity to doubt. He actually says this to his followers. He says, if you have faith and don't doubt, and this is where he goes on to say, you're going to say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, uh, and so we see the honest struggle even with his chosen disciples. To Peter in Matthew chapter 14, he's asking them, why did you doubt? You've got to keep your eye on me and not the waves around you. To Thomas in John 20, uh, he says, Thomas, I want you to touch my scars. I want you to see and touch and feel. And then I want you to stop doubting and I want you to believe. We've preached many times on this verse in Matthew 28, right before the Great Commission. It says that they saw Him, they worshipped Him, and then Scripture gives us this, this reality. It says, but some doubted. This is a very real picture. This is the blood, sweat, and tears, as well as the disbelief and the honest doubt, including Mary's very real questions here, questions that she's asking here. And I think this is so important for us, especially as we minister to the next generation. We have got to give people room to address the doubts and the questions that they have about God. If you never have that, see, see what, what I want you to see today as, as Mary is saying yes to the Lord, is that that saying yes is actually opening her life to a whole new encounter with God than she had ever had before. I think if we never give the space or the room for people to deal with their fears or to deal with their doubts and to deal honestly with them, to wrestle, and, and church, understand, I've got, I've got doubts, I've got things I'm wrestling with even now, but if we don't do that, we never get to the place of deeper faith. We see this happening right now in, in Mary's heart. Instead of responding with cynicism, instead of becoming, becoming hard-hearted, Mary responds with the reality of her honest doubt. She begins to seek clarity. She begins that process. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Look at verse 37. We actually see that not in spite of her doubt, but because of her doubt, because of her honest questioning, we, the readers of Scripture, millennia later, will actually be privy to one of the great scriptural promises that we, we attach our prayers to all the time and we attach our faith to. In verse 37, uh, read from the ESV, it says, For nothing is impossible for God. 
That's how the angel concludes that part of the conversation. I just want you to know, nothing is impossible for God. So because of her honest doubt, we receive a powerful scriptural promise. Wonderful. The, the last point that I'd like us to now begin to, to focus in on as we get our hearts ready for communion, this notion of saying yes is in many ways less about the doing the burdensome thing that God would ask you to do or me to do or Mary to do and more about the welcoming of Christ. Again, just read this verse with, uh, with fresh eyes as Mary processes her fear, processes her doubt, and then says very definitively in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I think, as we mentioned before, this notion of being undone in the presence of God this notion of to have found Him but still be searching for Him, to still have that hunger, that to work through doubt on a journey to authentic belief. I think that as we do those things and engage in those ways that help us to say yes to Jesus, these are the things that will arm you for spiritual battle. These, will the things, these are the things that will sustain you through the trials of life. These are the things that will guard your heart. These, that will, these are the things that will prepare you for your greatest calling. So now we got a good question. What is your greatest calling? What is the thing that God would call each one of us to say yes to? Well, I believe that the greatest calling on your life and mine, the calling that we all share, is to be people that would welcome the presence of Christ. This is so much more than just simply doing something for Him. And again, I think this is why we see such a falling away of people who have been given a spirituality that essentially comes down to, this is what you have to do to keep yourself in a good standing. You have to look the right way, you have to act the right way, you have to say the right things, and you have people feeling tired and worn out. Instead, we need to understand and embrace our calling to be those who would welcome the presence of Christ. In Matthew 21, speaking of doing, Jesus gives this interesting parable of two sons. And he says, there's two sons. And he said, he said to the first one, go out and, and work today in the vineyard. And the son says, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And he said, I will, but then he didn't go. This is found in Matthew 21 if you want to go back and read it. And then Jesus asked the question, which one did what his father wanted? And then they answered and they said, well, the first. You know, I think sometimes we can limit our understanding of just, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I getting the things checked off that Jesus is asking me to do? And make no mistake about it, obedience is absolutely important. We see in Mary an obedient heart. But I think, I think simply saying, did I do it or not do it, is, is never going to be enough to cultivate a vibrant spiritual encounter with the Lord. So as I've been sort of thinking about, what, what does this mean to kind of open up the way of the Lord. I've got sort of three things that, that come to mind. Number one, humility, understanding, 
and confession opens the way of the Lord. I think this, this is such a welcome, listen, this is going to help you, especially if you are struggling under the burden of trying to carry things that God never intended you to carry. And I can't tell you exactly the economy of why in a situation like with Mary, he brings an incredible burden to her life and entrusts it to her. What an incredible act that he does this. But there are times that we carry burdens that God never, never, start, I'll start there. There are times that we carry burdens that God never intended for us to carry. So let's talk about this idea. Humility, understanding, confession. Mary says this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Later on, when John is born, John will say, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. There's always humility present as we're welcoming the way of the Lord. The other, this is huge here, understanding. We have to have a healthy understanding of ourself and of God. Mary was troubled at this notion that she was found to be highly favored, probably because she knew herself well. She knew the parts in her that were probably not highly favorable. But there is a discipline that we don't want to miss of understanding, not just in humility, but now understanding who I am and who God is. You know, this may be a relief to some of you to simply breathe deeply in this Advent season and say, I am not God. I am not Jesus. I am not the one who is trying to, who is controlling all of the aspects of my life. Sometimes we wear ourselves out simply because we're trying to be God and we're not. There's something very, it just orients us. It just helps us to be able to say, I'm not God. I am flawed and I am in need of grace, but I don't need to wallow in the fact that I am flawed and need of grace. This is just self-understanding. Uh, I, I can invite the Holy Spirit, even now, to guide me and help me in my understanding of self. Why? Because humility plus understanding plus confession opens the way of the Lord. I don't want to simply make my own diagnosis, but I want to regularly be asking the Holy Spirit in quietness, Lord, would you examine my heart? So as I invite the Holy Spirit to define for me this understanding of self, then I will be willing to say yes to His diagnosis for my life. When I begin to find this, when I exercise humility, when I, when I, when I grow in understanding of self and God, is this, that Jesus is infinitely more holy and infinitely more gracious than we are with ourselves. Now, this last, last piece here, humility plus understanding plus confession opens the way of the Lord. Uh, I wanted to share this in the message today, not because we see in this scripture Mary exercising this season of confession in her life, but to see that Mary was already positioned to receive the work of the Lord. I think sometimes when we begin to get humble, when we understand God's place and my place, when we begin to get that self-understanding, there is an often missed tool that is absolutely right here. It's, an, it's a gift that we can exercise, which is the gift of confession. 
self-examined, spirit-revealed diagnosis of our standing before God, which helps me to understand what is wrong, helps me to understand what is unhelpful, what is off, what, what is driving me, and then leads me to a place as a Christ follower where I can confess my sin to God for forgiveness. I just read this this morning, Psalm 103, verses 10 to 14. says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. When we confess the, the discrepancy between where we are and where God is, where we are and where He's calling us to be, when we see that gap and we begin to confess that before Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So we confess to God for forgiveness, but then we confess to one another for healing. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. There is a heart healing that is needed. And there's one other step I would encourage you as well as I'm thinking about confession. Uh, there may be, as we have a little bit of introspection and we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to stir, there may be places where we need to confess to those we have hurt, where we would say, I'm sorry. It might even be that this week, in the midst of the stress of all of the things that we have going on, that the Holy Spirit leads us to a place to say, look, there is something blocking the way of the Lord in your life. And a simple act of confession, maybe to another person, to say, I need to ask your forgiveness, can open up the way of the Lord, can open up a whole new season of healing in your life. I think this is an important sidebar uh, for us to consider today. What we see in this scripture is Mary saying yes to Jesus. I'm going to give you just three things as we get ready to close. What does this mean when we say yes to Christ? Number one, we see surrender without defeat. Man, this is, this is so powerful, especially uh, if you are in the place of considering what it means to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Probably one of the things that is a big hang-up, I know it was for me for a long time, is I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ because I feel like I'm losing. What we actually see is that when we say yes to Jesus, we find surrender to His Lordship without defeat. He actually begins to elevate and to bless and to take us into a deeper life than we have ever imagined. Speaking of the deeper life, let me simply say this. The deeper life in Christ is normal for the Christ follower. The encounter with God, the pursuit of God, we may not always encounter Him as deeply as we want to, but the pursuit of that encounter is normal for the Christian life. It's not the exception to the rule. And so join me in being a people of the deeper life in this Advent season that are saying, yes, we are saying yes to Jesus to open the way for Christ in our lives. The bottom line is this. When we surrender to the will of God, we find it to be simultaneously costly and rewarding. We see this in Mary's life. The reality was that for Mary and for Joseph, God's plan would force them into a role of disgrace. There was nothing easy about God's plan for Mary's life. But then look at the example it gives us. 
Tim Keller writes it this way. He says, in some fashion, you have to say what Mary said when you give your life to Christ. Your heart must say something like this. I do not know what you are going to ask of me, Lord, but I will do whatever you say in your word. I'll accept patiently whatever you send into my life, whether I understand it or not. Make no mistake about it. Saying yes to Jesus is very costly, but it is also rewarding. We see this disgraced, pregnant, unwed peasant girl who then becomes today one of the most famous human beings in the history of the world, while most of us will not be remembered past a couple of generations. Thinking about that. So the first thing when we say yes to Jesus is that we find surrender without defeat. The second is this. It, it causes us to stay present, to ask the question, what is Jesus doing in my life now? If I want to be the kind of person who, who inhabits, where, where Jesus feels comfortable to inhabit my life, I must stay present with Him. What is Jesus doing in my, in my life now? In other words, I don't want to fixate on what was. I don't want to fixate even on what could have been. I want to focus on what is. I want to focus on the promises of what will be. Uh, I, I suspect that there are some among us that would say, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm staying very present tense in my walk with the Lord. This is a great season to get present with Him. The third one is very similar to it. We're listening for the will of God. We're seeing Mary go through all of these. We are challenged to do the same thing. And I want you to be encouraged with this. As you listen for the will of God in this Advent season, God can use any situation for His glory. He can use any hardship for our good. And He can use anyone who is willing to say yes. So as we get our hearts ready for communion, I'm going to ask you just to take a few moments to put into practice these few things. When we talked before about having humility before God, to simply say, God, you are God and I am not. And as I get my heart ready for the communion table, I am recognizing the finished work that I could never have done myself. I want to have a, a strong understanding of who I am. I want to receive the Holy Spirit's diagnosis of my life. And then I want to be responsive to the things that He is revealing. This is how we stay present with Him right now. And then I want to respond in confession. Today, church, I, I want to give you uh, a second gift. Last week was the gift of silence. And today we're going to build on that just a little bit. I think the challenge that we have with the gift of silence is sometimes we fear, what if God says nothing? And there are times that I've been silent and quiet before Him and I've heard nothing. And that's His prerogative if He doesn't want to speak. The second problem that sometimes we have with silence is we ask the question, well, what if He reveals something that I don't necessarily want to deal with? What if He shows me something that I'm a little bit afraid to deal with? I've got to overcome fear to say yes to Jesus. But then we have this gift of confession. And I think it's so appropriate for us to take a little bit of time today contemplating the obedience, the humility, the work that God was doing in working through Mary's life, in bringing Jesus who would be uniquely equipped to deal with my sin, my past, my junk, 
and then to employ this gift of silence and this gift of confession to make things right and to realize that he has already done the work and provided the way for that to happen. A little just personal confession of my own. Uh, in the recent weeks, you know, I found myself wrestling with my own heart. I don't know if you've been in that place before. Um, I hope you have, actually. But wrestling with my own heart, wondering, you know, why, why does so much of my reasoning kind of come back to or stem from my old nature? Why do I deal with fear? Why do I deal with, with doubt? Why do, I, why do I wrestle with this old nature? Why am I still, still growing in so many ways? And uh, I just found myself kind of feeling the burden of that, just kind of the, the weight of all of that. I, I encountered a, uh, a, a podcast from a leader whose name is Ruth Haley Barton. In fact, I think I'll include it in my uh, letter to you that will go out uh, on Monday morning. Um, a wonderful message about dealing with the importance of confession. And I, I just found a, an encounter with the Lord that, that He just began to lift some things off of my heart as I began just kind of dealing in my own spirit and, and in my own relationship with Him with some things that He was beginning to reveal to me. And so what I'd like to do in preparation for communion today is just simply ask you to receive the gift of silence and the gift of of confession. And I have a prayer that I'm going to read for us that allows us to kind of rest in the work that God is doing. And I just sense in my spirit that there may be some folks that, that need to really embrace this today. And if you don't find that that's you, then maybe just be encouraged to know and pray for those who really need to go maybe a little bit deeper this morning. But the prayer reads this way, and it has captivated me this week. Gracious God, my sins are too heavy to carry and too real to hide and too deep to undo. Forgive what my lips tremble to name, what my heart can no longer bear and what has become for me a consuming fire of judgment. Let me feel your comfort and your tenderness today. Set me free from a past that I cannot change. Open to me a future in which I can be changed. And grant me grace to grow more and more in your likeness and your image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Church, would you take a few moments to reflect on those words as we search our own hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts in preparation for communion. We will meet at the table together in just a few moments.